1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Interesting uh, canaries in the coal mine in off-year elections before presidential. You know, we uh, talked about uh, Glenn Youngkin. Uh, in particular in uh, the midterms, in advance of the midterms in 2021 leading into the midterms and what that may portend for Republican uh, chances in 2022. And it did to some extent, although, of course, the midterms were disappointing. Uh, We've got another sort of case study, and you don't want to extrapolate too much from one state when you're thinking about uh, a national election that we'll have next year. But it is interesting to note what happened in Louisiana with uh, Attorney General Jeff Landry uh, winning the uh, jungle primaries they have for a governor in Louisiana, uh, such, uh, and getting a majority vote in doing so such that uh, there was no need for a runoff. Big difference, too, lest you forget, Louisiana, yes, it's a, it's a red state when it comes to presidential elections, But at the state level, that clearly hasn't been the case because Jeff Landry is now set to succeed a two term Democrat governor, John Bel Edwards, who's a little bit of a beneficiary of circumstance, poor Republican candidates that he faced. But nonetheless, it also signals perhaps uh, the last of a dying breed of Democrats who are not completely beholden to the new Marxist base of their party. So John Bel Edwards, four years ago, uh, won 52-48 in the runoff, but the, um, the GOP candidates in the primary uh, split the vote, wound up with about 51% to 47 percent over the two Dems before the runoff, so you know again, if no single candidate gets a majority, they go to a runoff. So four years ago, the the two Republican candidates amassed a slight majority, and then John Bell Edwards ended up beating the Republican Risponi uh, in the runoff. But but um, this time, the Republican candidates had 65 percent of the vote together to the Dems, 28.5%, a 36-point margin. They went from about a four-point margin in 2019 to a 36-point margin in 2023. That's something. And it also speaks to a lot of the uh, working-class blue-dog Democrats that live in a place like Louisiana who are not dissimilar to working-class blue-dog Democrats in other parts of the country, including parts of swing states that could be determinative in next year's election, that may be moving hard towards the center-right. Also, it also speaks to perhaps a lack of enthusiasm among black voters. What happened in Louisiana? Dems were off 330,000 votes from four years ago. So uh, a lack of enthusiasm among black voters. Louisiana has significant black population for the Democrat Party.
2: That's so huge. 330,000? May-
0: yeah. yeah. So maybe we, maybe okay, we didn't so. get like sort of our COVID Biden reckoning in places like Illinois, maybe to some extent in the suburbs around the country, which led to the disappointing results in the midterms. But maybe it's coming in 2024.
2: 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, excuse me, all morning long at 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: I'll tell you what, you've got another uh, bellwether in that Kentucky governor's race between a popular attorney general, a la Landry in Louisiana, this time Daniel Cameron in Kentucky, uh, facing off against an incumbent, you know, Dem and Brashear who presents himself as sort of this moderate I'm not beholden to the socialist spice girls and the rest of the crazies in my party Uh, that's going to be very interesting because if it goes the same way that Louisiana did which very well might Daniel Cameron um, you've seen him before he spoke at the RNC young uh, black gentleman uh, you know good educational pedigree well thought thoughtful well spoken He's a good candidate, and he could be a real superstar if he's able to beat Bashir. Uh, But if that happens in Kentucky, combined with what's happened in Louisiana, it doesn't say, well, it's just Kentucky and just Louisiana, and, of course, those are red states when it comes to the presidential. Right, but you have to look at the subtext and the demographics because the demographics in different states um, are not – you know, the, the different cohorts that, compromise, that, that comprise the demographics are, are not dissimilar people um, with dissimilar interests. Uh, and so a lot of those blue dog Democrats in places like suburban Kentucky, um, just like suburban Louisiana, not dissimilar to a lot of similarly disposed voters in suburban Georgia, swing state, suburban North Carolina, swing state. Just for example, not to mention, it'll be interesting to see because you have sizable black populations in Kentucky, like in Louisville. Well, do, are they excited? Are they excited to protect Bashir? Are they excited about uh, the party to which they generally affiliate? I mean, it's just sort of indicators. Again, matchups and personalities and all the qualifiers, but it does say some things afoot, and maybe it's that reckoning that... Was forestalled in 2022. By the way, it's happening internationally too. New Zealand, New Zealand, the Jacinda Ardern realm, one of the most obnoxious and high-hatting COVIDians in the world. In the, world yeah. the last three years, just H- hands Ardern.
2: down, they won the prize. Yeah.
0: Well, um, she. Suddenly resigned, you'll remember. Mm -hmm. Um, Then uh, her Labor Party cohort named Chris Hipkins uh, succeeded her. He was sort of milk toasty. He was not as uh, iconoclastic as Ardern when it came to COVIDian policies. He was trying to mollify some who felt a bit slighted by her heavy handedness. Well, um, they got pounded. So, uh, the center right National Party in New Zealand, led by a former airline executive named Christopher Luxon, amassed a plurality, 40% of the ballots, to Labor's uh, something in the low 20s. So, uh, a reckoning in New Zealand, and that is substantially over COVID policies over the last three years. That country was locked down, maybe. Between New Zealand and Australia, no no two countries were more locked down than those two. One more. Just to start the day with uh, some optimism about the possibility of a reckoning, particularly in a state like Illinois, where that possibility seems terribly remote, doesn't it? Ecuador. With uh, more than 97% of the votes counted from this week's uh, runoff election... A 35-year-old businessman, he's the heir to a banana fortune, uh, Daniel Noboa uh, will become the next president of Ecuador, the youngest in that country's history, defeating uh, leftist in the process. And again, so the backdrop here of uh, a uh, South American country rejecting leftism, because not all have recently. The murder rate in Ecuador quadrupled between 2018 and 2022. Wow. And that was the main uh, concern going into the election. The main concern of voters going to the election is violent crime. So you have a reckoning in Louisiana, perhaps about all of the above violent crime, COVID policies, at least at the national level, uh, as well as the Biden presidency. You have a reckoning in New Zealand over largely COVID policy. You have a reckoning in Ecuador largely over public safety. Maybe um, the West is starting to regain its senses. Now, it won't happen everywhere. Like I say, I think uh, uh, Illinois is going to be an outlier for some time to come. But, um, hey, you look at uh, at, uh, countries... Uh, states that um, snap out of it, and you're encouraged, right? Jim and Lyle, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
3: Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Uh, Dan, to get a little more granular on the
4: Louisiana result,
3: there
0: was an open state
3: house seat that was a Biden plus eight district that the Republican won with 60%
0: of the vote. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Jim. Yeah, so some encouraging signs. Uh, so keep at it. Um, I don't know what a reckoning will look like if it ever comes to Illinois. I mean, it definitely will require candidates that are compelling. That's something that we haven't had. So, you know, Naboa, this young businessman, prominent family, um, uh, airline executive, private sector into the public sector, New Zealand. That's an interesting more and more of that outsiders in. Uh, Jeff Landry, who was popular as an attorney general, and and then just sort of where uh, that electorate is moving. And again, the portion of that electorate that doesn't seem too enthused about what's going on, but may not be ready to come over to the Republican side. All very interesting uh, indications at this point Mm -hmm. of what may come in 2024. And Jeff
2: Landry was Trump-backed, so... Yeah, that's, that's right. That says something, too, because we do have this thing called a presidential election coming up. All right. Coming up on Chicago's Morning Answer.
0: Well, speaking of a Trump act, how about Trump silenced uh, the gag order a federal judge has imposed on the former president, Five thirty eight.
2: And I guess they couldn't work out that soccer schedule. Why Mayor Johnson is not heading to the...
5: Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission, to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, uh, the judge Tanya Chutkin, in one of Trump's federal trials, this uh, uh, January 6th related, has imposed a gag order. It's limited, but nonetheless substantial, uh, on former President Trump. Uh, in that case, First Amendment protections yield to the administration of justice and to the protection of witnesses, said Judge Chut- Chutkin, who is a Obama nominee, uh, pointy, you know, confirmed by the Senate. His presidential candidacy does not give him carte blanche to vilify public servants who are simply doing their job. She also said the trial date of March 4th in that case will not yield to the election cycle, and she will not revisit it. So the day before Super Tuesday, that trial is scheduled to start. Um, Here was Trump's reaction to the news of the gag order as he was speaking in Iowa.
6: They think the only way they can catch me is to stop me from speaking. They want to take away my voice, and a judge uh, gave a gag order today. Did you hear that on speech? Which I believe is totally unconstitutional what she did. A judge gave a gag order. A judge doesn't like me too much. Her whole life is not liking me. But uh, she gave a gag order. You know what a gag order is? You can't speak badly about your opponent. But this is weaponry all being done because Joe Biden is losing the election and losing very, very badly to all of us in the polls. He's losing badly. But what they don't understand is that I am willing to go to jail if that's what it takes for our country to win and become a democracy again.
0: 312-642-5600, turnkeypro line, 646-36-DA, turnkey.pro-text line. There it is, willing to go to jail. Uh, what would you advise the former president to do? Should he uh, be circumspect in complying with the judge's gag order? Or should he risk sanctions? She was not specific about what the sanctions would be. They could include social media restrictions. They could include pretrial imprisonment. We don't know. We'll have to see. What would you tell Trump to do? 312-642-5600, line. I
2: mean, she would throw him in jail, don't you think? I mean, she's hell-bent on taking him down. So is the entire Biden administration. So why not? If he doesn't show up for his trial, do you think they'd nab him?
0: Show up for his trial? What do you mean? Of course he's going to show up for his trial. That's not the issue. The issue is whether or not that he says things that run afoul of her gag order. Well,
2: he's going to say something that, I mean, because she, she's the one that determines what is offensive to her. You know, like I he might say something I'm like, yeah, that's just Trump. But she might think, oh, that he's he's violating the gag order rule. So I have to take him into, you know, pretrial custody. Chutkin
0: is saying, Trump can certainly claim he's being unfairly prosecuted, but I cannot imagine any other criminal case in which a defendant is permitted to call the prosecutor deranged or a thug, and I will not permit it here simply because the defendant is running a political campaign. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, Jack Smith is not just a prosecutor, he's a political figure, so she's essentially suggesting that Trump can't disparage Jack Smith in any way, shape, or, uh, or form. But it's hard to reconcile that I'm being unfairly prosecuted, but the person prosecuting it prosecuting me is a wonderful gentleman. Um, it's it's difficult to reconcile that I can I can claim I'm being unfairly prosecuted, but I can't hold a particular person. You know, the prosecutor responsible rhetorically for the, What I characterize as an unfair prosecution. How does that make any sense? Uh, Maybe it's going too far. And I'm sure his attorneys would agree that, you know, to to do some of the stuff he's done on social media, like post a picture of the 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 New York judge's clerk next to Schumer and mock her as Schumer's girlfriend. I'm talking about the civil fraud case in New York Uh, that resulted in a gag order that focused on court personnel. I can I can appreciate that. Jack Smith. In the context of that prosecution, his prosecutions, plural. No, I can't. The other thing, um, Trump is not permitted to attack um, Pence. Uh, he may not criticize Mr. Pence about the events in this case, Chutkin said. So he shows up to a Republican debate, for example. Uh, I think the next one is November 8th. If Pence pushes him about January 6th, Trump has to say, I can't comment on what the former vice president just said because I'm under a gag order that doesn't allow me to comment on Mike Pence's characterizations of me and what I did Uh or didn't do on January 6th. How is that? How how is that not violative of uh, his First Amendment rights, as Trump uh, so indicated in his remarks in Iowa?
2: She's just trying to make it harder for him to run for president. And any time they can silence him on any angle, that's so they think a win for them. Hopefully it'll backfire. Well, not
0: to mention, as you heard the president say, there will be an appeal in this case. Mm -hmm. He's going to appeal that gag order. Um, Although, you know, the the flip side of this is he welcomes the gag order just like he welcomed the indictments. Right. When um, it's the same dynamic that we telegraphed. Months and months before the first indictment. The best thing that could happen to Trump, how many times do we say it? The best when these investigations are ongoing and there was all this bloviating from all the uh, those uh, politicized prosecutors and their henchmen in public office, other public offices uh, around the country. The best thing that could happen to Trump? To be indicted. Mm-hmm. The more times, the better, because it makes the campaign Trump versus a corrupt Department of Justice, D.C. establishment, swamp, whatever term you would like to use. And what does this gag order do? It just further feeds the persecution, not prosecution, narrative that Trump is selling uh, legitimately, by the way. So he's selling it legitimately that he is doing what he has incredibly done, perhaps better than no other uh Republican politician in the country's history. What he has done since 2016, 2015, when he was a candidate. He has, uh, again, goaded the left into exposing to the world who they really are.
2: 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Text us at 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: Uh, As the uh, Wall Street Journal opined, and this is what Trump understands, and the left may understand it. They're just indifferent to it. Um, perhaps um, indifference, the arrogance uh, indicated by their indifference, will be the basis of their fall. We'll see. What many Trump critics don't understand is what is that most Republicans don't like former presidents, the former president's churlish behavior. What they like even less, however, is the idea that Trump's fulminations against Jack Smith might be the reason to jail him. Right. I can disagree with the tone and the choices that he makes in terms of his communications on social media and from the stump. But anybody who would imprison him over that, I like even less. And now I'm going to support that guy to stick it so far up your backside, you'll remember it. That's the dynamic. It's pretty simple. Greg Schomburg, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. This
7: is an occasion where Rush Limbaugh demonstrate the absurd by being absurd would be wonderful. If I was advising Donald Trump, the next thing that I would the first thing I would say is always refer to Jack Smith as the nicest guy on earth. And you could hear the crowd just chuckle when he does that. And make sure that you've got t shirts, sweatshirts, everything with his with, not with a space because he'd probably get sued but just say Jack is a wonderful guy and then put the Trump logo etc he'd raise a
8: billion on that
0: yeah damn him with faint praise yeah not bad thanks for the call Greg. I mean the other thing Trump is sort of doing that in a sense with the um, the you know the Al Capone riff you know I've been indicted more times than Scarface and then he goes about you know Al Capone would blow your brains out if you looked at him the wrong way he was indicted once I've been indicted four times you know he's making a mockery of all the indictments collectively, uh, which is not only warranted, it's good politics. Joe in Naperville.
4: Yeah, I always like to, you know, Dershowitz. You on the other uh, foot thing. Uh, if this was just Joe Blow or somebody else doing what he's doing, would the gag order be have been imposed? What is the standard that is usually followed in these kind of cases?
0: Well, uh thanks for the call, Joe. I mean. Uh there are, will be there are gag orders that are imposed if you attack a, a public servants, if you try to poison the jury pool, attack public servants who are just doing their jobs and so on and so forth. I mean, there is that would not be unusual if somebody was railing publicly against um, uh, some officer of the court. However, um, this is, you know, a outlier situation in so many respects and so it there's i mean there's no there's literally no precedent for it because you have a former president under indictment there's no it's never happened before so there's literally no precedent for it and what i would say about the poison the jury pool you you're not allowed to attack public servants i mean we're we're, we're in the political arena even though this is a criminal case or a criminal case is. so <laughs> The the idea, first of all, that Trump is going to poison every any jury pool, 99% of people know who Donald Trump is and they have an opinion of him. And, you know, his uh, offering a praise to Jack Smith or offering invective against Jack Smith will not change that. So I, it's sort of a false argument and uh, a false basis upon which to offer this tailored gag order that uh, Judge Chutkin uses in part. Dean, Sarasota, Florida.
9: Big hi, Dan and Amy. Isn't it pretty easy to get around a gag order? So, for instance, Trump's on stage at the debate, and he says, Mike Pence says something, and and Trump says, now, Mike, and everybody in, in the studio audience, everybody knows, I can't say anything about what you did, Mike, But let's just say, for example, that there was a vice president that did this. this, I would, I would think he's a jerk, 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 jerk. Can't yeah, right. Order pretty
0: easily. Well, sure. Yeah, the old hypothetical. I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but uh, yeah, you know. But again, this is as Amy says, judicial discretion. So. Um, that yeah. sort of uh, rhetorical artifice would not be lost on on the judge. And, it, it, again, we'll see how, how hard-line she wants to be because, I mean, Trump—
2: Well, she's all in on the Democratic Party, so she's ready to take him down.
0: But Trump is right back on the stump to talking yeah. about the gag order almost in real time yesterday in Iowa. So, I mean, it's so it's not going to stop, and then the judge is going to have to decide how much of a firestorm she wants to— Endure and unleash Um, that probably is as much a political calculation on her part as the political calculations on the part of everyone else. I mean, again, please, I hope I know our audience is sophisticated enough, but for your friends who are not the idea that Judge Chutkin uh, or the prosecutors in these cases, that this is just a, a matter of the rule of law. They have blinders on. They don't hear, see, or think about politics. This is strictly black-letter law that they're making their decisions based upon. Wrong. There's absolutely political calculations by all parties involved. So let's just dispense with a facade that there isn't. George in Naperville.
8: Yeah, I wonder if she's going to put an order if Trump passes that he be buried at sea so there's no pilgrimages to his grave.
0: (laughs) Thanks for the call, George. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy,
0: uh, listen up. We have an important public safety announcement for Wilmette and the larger North Shore. How's
2: it going up there?
0: Yeah. Uh, important public safety announcement for Wilmette and the North Shore, the greater North Shore. What? Saturday is Loyola versus Mount Carmel at Loyola. <gasps> no. Saturday, uh, the Mount, Cardinal, Mount, Mount Carmel will caravan up to Wilmette to uh, take on the Loyola football team. It's one versus two. Well,
2: that's going to be you a big what, game.
0: But you know what that means.
2: Um, well, okay, wait, wait, wait. on the streets?
0: Let me, let me just... Let me just defer to Wilmishans who know what this means. They've lived through the horror of a Mount Carmel visit.
10: I hey, have my address. Debbie, that's it. Thank you. I live uh, right across the street from Loyola. Now, the, uh, last two Thursday nights ago, August 24th, there was back-to-school night. You couldn't even walk down the street. They allowed you to park on the other side of our block and there were people that were walking their dogs, their kids were out, they almost got killed. And second of all, when they had halftime on Friday nights, where do you think they're going? To the bars. And then they're gonna be walking the neighborhoods drunk. I mean, do you guys even care? And then crime's gonna come in because when they play St. Rita or Mount Carmel, everybody just comes from everywhere on the south side of Chicago. And there was four robberies in our neighborhood. I mean, like seriously. It's going to make crime up, and it's going to make people not want to buy around here.
0: Look, don't, don't be foolish. Don't be a hero. Oh. Don't make Debbie from Wilmette into a Cassandra. You have seventy-two hours to evacuate or hunker oh. down in uh, one of a a a fa- one of the fallout shelters you built uh, during the Soviet era, or something like this. Oh. in Wilmette, please, seventy-two hours. Uh, Get your kids to a safe place. Mount Carmel is coming to Wilmette.
5: Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. 30, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank.
0: Good morning, Dan and Amy. You've heard uh, Mike Scott reporting on it. Uh, the fallout from this uh, horrific murder and attempted murder in Plainfield, a 71 year old landlord who stabbed a Palestinian American mom. Uh, uh, she's going to survive and murdered her six year old son, stabbing him some two dozen times. Yeah,
2: 26 times and then a 27th time left the knife in his abdomen
0: and uh so the response you're getting from around the country including from president biden opining on this you talking about this as an example of uh of uh Islamophobia. hatred um and so um certainly based on what the will county sheriff's office and will county state's office has reported about the incident it would seem so. Uh, the uh, assailant reportedly said, "All Muslims must die." He got into an argument with uh, the mom, his tenant, about uh, what occurred in uh, Gaza—the attack by Hamas. Um, also, his wife indicating the assailant's wife indicating that he had uh, drawn, he had withdrawn a thousand dollars from his bank account because he was afraid the grid was going to go down, and. The Sun-Times story, the NPR-Times story in particular, is worth noting, as I teased before Mike Scott's newscast, what the left is going to do uh, and is doing with this incident, as they do with every incident, incident of, that they can, which is to uh, demonize their political opponents and characterize their political opponents as the real parties responsible for any sort of criminal activity that they can pin on their political opponents. And so the Sun-Times headline, uh, Plainfield man fatally stabbed six-year-old Muslim boy after listening to conservative talk radio, prosecutors say. The uh, headline there, is the typical sort of smear that you ex- expect from the left, including those who pretend to be journalists that work for pretend news outlets like the NPR Times.
2: And it wasn't only that. I mean, MSNBC, they came out, and this uh, African-American reporter, he's like, and it was conservative radio, and he's moving his shoulders back and forth like we're the, the evil devil. And then, by the way, the Sun-Times a few hours later changed it to... Boy, uh, six-year-old Palestinian boy, after listening to radio, and becoming worried about personal safety, so they change it for conservative radio to radio. A few hours yeah, later, yeah,
0: that's that's, uh, that's that's a distinction without a difference. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A Turnkey Text Line. Um, I suppose we should uh, turn ourselves into the Will County authorities, as should every other conservative talk show host, right? I mean, we're the responsible parties.
2: Well, his wife told detectives that he regularly listens to conservative radio and he was very interested in current events.
0: That's good enough for me. You better lock us up because um, that's what... Who, who just? I mean, if we could just get specific because I'd be happy to get specific about it. Um, those uh, in conservative talk radio who promote the killing of children for political or religious reasons could could you just identify them because i'd like to know am i one is amy one please go ahead i mean let's have it out
2: the left is foaming at the mouth on this i mean the, those that hate us <laughs> that are um, looking to take us down i mean it's and there's no that was it that's what there's just it's so vague i, I want more details well what what can what does that mean he listens to radio, He already listens to conservative radio, so he got angry. The mom said that he came in. She said, quote, he's an angry man. This is what she told detectives. He's an angry man, but on this day in question, he came to the house, and he was angry at her for what was happening in Jerusalem. And she said to him, let's give peace a chance, and she tried to you know stop the attack, and she couldn't.
0: Yeah, um, and she survived. She was, and she, I guess, locked herself in, the in bathroom. a bathroom. Yeah, and. She, uh, then he turned his sights on the kid and stabbed the kid. I mean, it's a horrific crime. It's, uh, it's indefensible, just as any crime of this sort is. And, um, you know, it's not the fact that we demonize anybody. Uh, we may describe some people who behave in demonic fashion, but we don't demonize groups as a whole. Never have, never will. Uh, you know, that's the funny thing about it. For conservatives... The individual is the unit of analysis. We're not collectivists. For the left, they're in the business of collectivism and smearing people as a group. You're all insurrectionists. It's all MAGA world. That's a synonym for insurrectionists now, as you know. You're deplorables. And so on. I mean, the, the examples are myriad. Um, and here we can distinguish between a political disagreement and a violent crime. So there's no defense to this. There's no contextualization of it. It was a horrific act, a couple of acts of violent crime that were committed against this family for no reason.
2: He's suffering from mental illness. Look at him. Uh,
0: uh, 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 Stop. Just stop. What? Stop depriving. You're, You're not in a position to make a clinical analysis. That's not the issue. The issue is whether he knew right from wrong, if you want to play law and order. And um, and there's no evidence that he didn't, which is why he's charged with first-degree murder. We'll have the court adjudicate the case on the merits of his uh, mental faculties. But there was never a problem. He had no criminal nope. uh, history. And uh, if the exchange, as reported, is accurate, then having um, ridiculous uh, beliefs— that uh, if you could, again, point to me where on conservative talk radio or or anywhere else some self-identified conservative is articulating the beliefs that he articulated in that conversation with the mom before he attacked mom and child, then I'd be interested to hear that because you're not going to find it. That's nowhere to be found. And so this is just an opportunity, cynical, cynical opportunity by – Apparatchiks at outlets like the NPR Times, formerly the FLCAO Times, the political ruling class in Chicago, to smear people, and then turn around and call for unity and peace, and we need to be respectful of one another. The big lies that they tell about their own belief system. Becky and Sandwich on Chicago's Morning Answer.
11: Hey, good morning, guys. Just wanted to um, give your uh, listenership a heads up. Um, go to your council meetings. Go to your local board meetings. Um, last night we were sitting at a council meeting, and we witnessed a left-wing reporter completely smack-talking conservatives, and his opinion and his other bias were coming out, just spewing for 20 minutes during a closed session meeting. And I finally tapped him on the shoulder, and I said, hey, are you a uh, – reporter for X and he said uh, yes and I said well well, no wonder we never get articles that are unbiased I said you just sat here and SHIT talked to every conservative person that I know by name I said that is absolutely unacceptable I said and you know what I'll be talking to your chief editor tomorrow you have to call these people out on their behavior it's unacceptable (laughs) wait wait wait
0: wait wait wait. hold up hold up Uh, he works for X what's X name the outlet Shaw Media Shaw Media, there you go. Good example.
11: Yep. And, and, and there, are rural, there are rural reporters. They oh, come yeah. to these meetings, and then they take their own bias, and they write articles. And then those articles get twisted, and I kept asking him, you're left-leaning. And he's like, you're making an assumption. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm reading a book by its cover, and then I listened to the first chapter for the last 20 minutes. You're left-leaning, and that is unacceptable. Not to mention, you spoke of people that I know conservative Christian people that I know that work very diligently to keep things in check. For example, he was laughing about the sexual content in books. He was laughing about the drag queen um, concerns. He was laughing about um, conservative uh, issues.
0: uh, We we get the profile, so let me -hmm. me just respond to that. This is unacceptable? No, no, you should accept it, Um, because that's what it is so the and, and and go ahead and talk to the editor in chief and and be shined on by that person um as well oh we you know we strive for this and blah 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 uh, that's the landscape and the i mean there's there's a couple of responses here number 1 conservatives need to do a better job of building their own castles as andrew claven always says including media yep. properties number 2 is mm-hmm. uh accept and don't expect and uh and And detail exactly like you did but but it is but and you could so but, but understand you're they're not going to change the only thing you can accomplish is them uh, pretending that they're going to reform their ways, they're going to try to be more considerate of diverse opinions that are not their own, they're going to try to get both sides, they're going to try to hear you out that's that is pantomiming. They are not. Right.
11: I think the best part was just watching him squirm for the next meeting. Just absolutely. Just literally watching yeah, him, him squirm. Because like, absolutely. And it's not, it's not like you're trying to make someone fear you. It's fundamentally their behavior is being called out because it's unacceptable and we're done. We're done. We're going to prove to you that you are left-leaning and that is why we get biased articles
0: thanks for the call becky they're not left-leaning they're leftists they're leftist apparatchiks this isn't like i have a i have a preference in this direction like pepsi versus coke no this is not preferences they uh are coming out of you know caesar's journalism schools quote-unquote journalism and by the way, you know, since, since um, uh, you know, last year during the governor's race was all this right-wing journalism and uh, fake news and fake news and fake news. But yeah, of course, the NPR Times is not. And there, there's any policing that goes on within the ranks of Caesar's press corps? Please, there's anybody who's going to call out the Sun Times for ascribing? culpability to conservative talk radio generically for this uh, murder and attempted murder in plainfield please
2: yeah but then they realized that they might be wrong so they just changed it to radio they when they change, change a headline that's a big deal to me not i mean yeah. you know, to okay you, but it is. well uh, here's what here's what's, here's some, what's, here's what's we actually going
0: on here, here's what's actually going on in the landscape so just get get with it everyone get with it understand what's happening So places like the uh, AFL, now CIO, now NPR Times, I mean, that would have closed uh, a decade ago, but not for uh, being a toy of wealthy leftists like uh, Tyree of Mesero and then institutional leftists like the AFL, CIO, and now NPR. Literally state-funded media. Literally Caesars Press Corps. So what's going on here? Let me tell you what's going on. Nearly two dozen liberal foundations will begin dropping $500 million into propping up local media infrastructures to drive coverage of issues that include criminal justice reform and climate change ahead of the 2024 elections. The initiative called Press Forward consists of 22 left-wing foundations organized by the MacArthur Foundation pumping millions of dollars into progressive journalistic endeavors, progressive journalistic oxymoron to create a quote equitable future by informing, engaging and activating Americans through deep investments in just and inclusive news and narratives. Uh, News and narratives are synonyms for these journalists in quotation marks. That's what's actually happening. All this, you know, we're real news. The Chicago press corps is real news because we're uh, funded by, Corporations who advertise versus uh, conservative uh, news outlets or actually independent news outlets with a conservative bent that's disclosed, like the papers to which I'm affiliated, and just do straight news and challenge people to uh, tell me what's wrong with that news story and nobody tells you anything specifically that's inaccurate or wrong. They just say, right-wing, fake news. No, detail it detail it both sides hold both sides accountable police and we need to police ourselves too because we have people on our side that will go off the rails or act recklessly from time to time too and so yeah but don't expect do not expect for a second and if you get that you know oh we're going to try to do better oh i see your point they're shining you on they're patronizing you and this coverage of this uh Mur- this horrific murder, this terrible occurrence. And the first instinct of the Panjan drums at the NPR Times is to see how we can blame uh, our media rivals. That's the first instinct. A boy is murdered. And the first instinct, how can we pin this on conservative media?
2: Always the first instinct.
0: Tell me, tell me uh, you know, how you're going to address the depravity of of a mind like that, a mind that has been completely rotted because it's totally politicized. But you're going to reason with them. You're going to get a fair shake at some point. You're not. Don't expect it. Build your own castles and detail what they're doing. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Stephen Davidoff Solomon is a law professor at Berkeley. Don't hire my anti-Semitic law students. I teach corporate law at University of California, Berkeley, advisor to the Jewish Law Students Association. My students are largely engaged and well-prepared. I regularly recommend them to legal employers. But if you don't want to hire people who advocate hate and practice discrimination, don't hire some of my students. Anti-Semitic conduct is nothing new on university campuses, including here at Berkeley. How about uh, the predicate question about don't admit certain people to the University of Berkeley and other law schools, but I digress. Listen to what happened on the campus of Berkeley, according to Professor uh, Solomon. Berkeley's Law Students for Justice in Palestine asked other student groups to adopt a bylaw that bans supporters of Israel from speaking at events. It excluded any speaker who, quote, expressed and continued to hold views or host, sponsor, promote events in support of Zionism, the apartheid state of Israel, and the occupation of Palestine, unquote. Nine student groups adopted the bylaw, including the Queer Caucus, the Women of Berkeley Law. That's important. I'll get back to that in a second. The bylaw caused an uproar. It was rightly criticized for creating, quote, unquote, Jew free zones. Our dean, a diehard liberal, admirably condemned it, but said free speech principles tied his hands. Mm. The campus groups had the legal right to pick or exclude speakers based on their views. The bylaw remains, and 11 other groups subsequently adopted it. Uh, He goes on to say, uh, look, it's time for the adults to take over, and that includes law firms looking for graduates to hire. Winston and Strawn revoked an employment offer for a student at NYU who wrote an open letter that pointedly refused to condemn Hamas' attacks. Legal employers in the recruiting proc- process should do what Winston and Straw did, Winston and Strawn did. Treat law students like the adults they are. If a student endorses hate, dehumanization, or anti Semitism, don't hire them. When students face consequences for their actions, they straighten up. Well, yeah. Um I suppose I guess in in the West now we're beyond uh the ability to make moral arguments that are persuasive in a in a culture of moral relativism. So now we just have to impose financial penalties. Uh, I suppose if that's what it takes makes um uh makes some sense to me. It also speaks to what's been going on in college campuses for a long time that uh um a lot of people including um People of the Jewish faith uh, who uh, are professors have turned a blind eye to because it's uncomfortable and because they otherwise share a political disposition with a lot of the people they are now decrying. And it's interesting, the queer students, the women's students group, and all these other identity-oriented student groups. I mean, this is the whole play of the left, and I don't understand what is confusing about it. I mean, it's been going on long enough that people should have taken judicial notice. It's the solidarity and marginality play. And uh, the reason that anti-Semitism flourishes is because, at least with respect to the BIPOC-oriented groups and the LGBTQIA two-spirit plus plus plus, they see uh, Jewish people as successful as in positions of uh, status in academia and, and other sectors, say, so, well, they're not a marginalized population, so they can't play. they can't play the victimization game. And so uh, they're not part of the and, and they're not part of the coalition, and even though they in terms of voting patterns in the West, they are. Um, and then you have to make a choice when it comes down to conflicts like between the Muslim world and Israel. And so who do they choose? I think um, it's pretty obvious. So what to do about it now, culturally? I mean, there's the geopolitical discussion and about uh, supporting Israel, and, um, and those are important discussions, too. But culturally, how do we stop incubating this ignorance and hatred, including within the upper reaches of academia? There's a big question, I think. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Eugene Kontorovich, who is a law professor at George Mason University, um, he, the Scalia Law School there. He's also the head of the International Law Department at the Colette Policy Forum, which is a Jerusalem think tank. I hope I pronounced that right. Professor Kontorovich, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Do we have Hi. A professor? Hi, Professor. How are you? Uh, so um, what's your reaction to uh, what, uh, before we get to the geopolitical uh, piece of this, which you've written about? H- hello? Do we lose him? Okay, let's try to get Professor Konorovic Kondor- back. Uh, we'll, we'll take a break and effort that. All right, I think we've got uh, Professor Eugene Konarovich George Mason University Scalia Law School professor, back. Uh, professor, are you with us?
8: Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm with you, yeah. I'm actually in Jerusalem, so sorry for that.
0: Oh, no worries, oh, wow. no worries. Uh, great to have you on. Um, uh, I don't know if you caught it, but um, the uh, op-ed that was penned by uh, Berkeley Law Professor Stephen Solomon saying, yes. don't hire my anti-Semitic law students. What do you think about uh, that posture?
8: You know, I think, uh, fortunately, I've been blessed not to have this problem, and George Mason uh, Law School um, has reacted uh, you know, commendably. Uh, to this unspeakable massacre, but one of the distressing things uh, about the massacre, nobody you know imagined how quite evil, unspeakably evil even Hamas is, but nobody thought you know that Hamas was so great in the first place. what's the really shocking thing is not just the unspeakable brutality of Hamas's crimes, but that they have so many. What I would call Holocaust deniers, Holocaust excuses, um, in prominent positions in, in, in the West, in universities, in academia, and we see uh, you know both at law schools, doctors. We see so many educated people who are supposed to be part of the uh, you know liberal elite of society uh, engaging in genocide uh, apologetics or even genocide celebration. Before our eyes. I'm not a big fan of cancel culture. Uh, I don't think people should be dinged for misspeaking uh, off-the-cuff statements, uh, you know, or youthful indiscretions. But when you come out and celebrate an event that involved the mass slaughter and torture of people with babies burned alive in front of their parents and parents burned alive in front of their babies. Raping women and then killing them. If you have anything good to say about that, if you have anything morally ambiguous to say about that, that raises a serious question about your fitness for the bar. To be admitted to the bar, you need to be ju- you know, you need to be, uh, pass a moral fitness test. And it seems that this is uh, manifestly uh, inconsistent. The same with doctors who express sympathy with this. Right? Certain professions have higher obligations. You know, how could you trust a doctor to treat you if you're Jewish, if they have celebrated the uh, the murder of real people? That's
2: a good point.
0: Uh, I wanted to get uh, to some of the uh, geopolitical uh, uh, yes thoughts that you had on this as well. Um, you uh, tweeted out about uh, President Biden's visit to uh, Israel to, uh, tomorrow. Uh, the uh, the Biden administration is holding Israel back from taking out Hamas. How so? Yes.
8: So President Biden is coming tomorrow uh, in the middle of this war. It's a highly unusual thing to do. And the question is, why? Right. There's, not, there's no conversations he can have that he can't have, you know, by the phone. But, you know, Israel is poised for a ground invasion of Gaza, an invasion that is sure to cause a lot of damage, to result in a lot of casualties, uh, And, you know, also at the same time, you know, fundamentally end the paradigms of the Middle East, the two-state solution model that Biden has devoted his life to. By Biden coming, the thing he primarily accomplishes is makes it impossible for Israel to launch a ground invasion until at least sometime after he leaves. So uh, that's that's a problem. And it's clear that uh, the Biden administration is pushing israel to uh adopt or you know to accept something other than complete and permanent victory uh over the people who did this
2: well is there any way his presence might help get the american hostages back i know there's 199 in total and we did hear from one young lady who was at that music festival and she said that she was receiving medical treatment and I don't, i'm sure you saw that videotape that was released yesterday right
8: yeah the videotape itself was a. Uh, uh, form of abuse Mm -hmm. and a form of psychological torture uh her mother upon seeing this video said she could tell that she was being forced to say this that she was being coerced and this is like the hostage videos american pows were made to uh put out by the by the vietnamese it's an abuse of prisoners um we don't know you know this is this video could have been days old we don't know if she's still alive and hamas is engaging in psychological manipulation the goal cannot be simply the release of American hostages. Uh, the, the goal must be the, that this could never happen again. And the only way for that to happen is that Hamas must be completely wiped out. Hamas took these hostages for a reason, right? To use them as a tool to buy them time and to use them as basically human shield. That cannot be allowed to happen.
0: Um, something else that needs to be confronted is of uh, the uh, moral equivocations in the um, uh, the the uh, uh, literati here. Um, let me give you an example. I want to get your reaction to Nick Kristof writing at uh, New York Times, of course. Um, one reason the sympathy for Hamas and some leftist quarters is so wrongheaded. Hamas militants are not freedom fighters. They're misogynist oppressors of their own people who commit atrocities against Israelis that lead to counter-strikes that kill civilians. Instead of helping Palestinians advance, Hamas enormously magnifies their suffering. So that's one sentence, one paragraph. The next paragraph. Yet this too must be said. Another reason for the hatred is the endless degradation in Gaza that results from Israel's periodic bombings and from its economic blockade. And the uh, upshot is Dick Christoph sort of wondering aloud, what good does it do to destroy Gaza? How do you react?
8: Right. So, first of all, Israel has not controlled Gaza since 2005. Israel left Gaza completely in 2005. They took out all the civilians. They, took up, they even took out the bodies from the, court, uh, from the cemeteries. And then Hamas won the elections and took power and began attacking Israel. The blockade that Israel has maintained of Gaza, which is obviously a very partial blockade, look at all the weaponry, they got. Look at all the tunnels they got. Uh, was in response to Hamas' attacks in the first place. So Nick Kristof is falling for Hamas's central weapon, which is to attack Israel to provoke a response, which they then use as justification for uh, for uh, for further attacks. But I want to say, even if the Gazan people, even if the Gazan people are suffering, there's a lot of suffering people in the world. The Gazans are not high on the list of suffering peoples. Uh, do we see other suffering peoples? Um cut open pregnant women's stomachs, stab their babies to death and then shoot them, to tie families together and use them as kindling for each other. We don't see this in any context of any people they all right, well, wait, how do you, around the
7: world There's
2: five to six hundred Americans who are trapped in Gaza who are at the Egyptian border trying to get out. Do you think they should have a right to leave
8: i think I think all the people in Gaza who want to leave should leave. I think that's that's crucial. Israel wants to minimize civilian casualties, and uh, Hamas is bottling up people who want to flee the conflict inside inside Gaza. And the U.S., which gives Egypt $3 billion a year in aid, must insist that Egypt solve this humanitarian crisis by opening its border to, to refugees. And, you know, there's a big irony here. The people who love refugees the most to say America should open its borders to refugees, European countries should border open their borders to refugees, won't pressure and won't demand that Egypt open their border to a small number of refugees from the neighboring area that they used to occupy.
0: Hmm. Eugene Konorovich is the head of the Inter- Oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, Eugene Konorovich is the head of the International Law Department at the COLAT Policy Forum, a Jerusalem think tank. He's also a professor at George Mason University's Scalia Law School. Professor Konorovich, thanks so much for your time.
1: Appreciate it.
8: Thank
2: you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
1: It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer.
0: We need to come up with theme music bad. for Frank. But uh, it's Frank's. I and get Frank's. Frank's what, what, what Frank wants, Frank gets. It's time for another episode of In-Depth History with Frank from Arlington Heights. Frank.
4: Good morning.
3: Good morning. Today I'd like to talk about Hamilton's curse. In the early 1780s, earlier in our country's history, we suffered a lot of economic problems, including very high debt and high inflation. George Washington, the new president, turned to Alexander Hamilton to come up with an economic plan. One part of that economic plan was the creation of a national bank. And what this national bank would do was it would sell bonds to have a federal assumption of the state's revolutionary war debts. And this worked pretty well. And one of Hamilton's logical aspects of it was he wanted to tie the citizen to the success of the new government. And it worked. Three national banks later and a Keynesian progressive era later, 90 years of it, we now have $33 trillion in government debt with another $2.3 trillion to come this year with our deficit. And we're tied to that. Who owns those bonds? Mutual funds, insurance companies, social security trust funds, pension funds, foreigners, public. We all own it. We're tied now to a feral federal leviathan, whether we like it or not. And our retirements depend on it. and generation Z, if the government take if the government borrows the next 119 trillion dollars that it thinks it's going to over the next several decades, they're on the road to surf them.
0: Well, um, generation Z would have you know that they were told there would be no math. so um, they will go blithely down that road to serfdom. It would appear Frank, marlington heights with in-depth history thanks so much as always frank
3: thank you thank you dan and if you guys have a suggestion on the on the uh, theme i'm i'm always more
8: than open to
2: it okay so. All right. justin inc- gets back from his honeymoon soon
0: so. that includes our that includes our listeners too if you want uh frank yeah. to do a deep historical dive on your behalf so just send us a text or shoot us an email Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Unity, common ground, respect for diversity of views. Anytime you hear the left's political mouthpieces, like SACA Durbin is a good example, very calmly suggesting those are representative of uh, his beliefs and the beliefs of his party, they're lying. And we have another installment to provide as evidence mentioned it a bit earlier in the show but let's develop it get your reaction the uh, NPR Times again literally state funded media Caesars Press Corps with Caesars J School apparatchiks Plainfield man fatally stabbed six year old Muslim boy after listening to conservative talk radio They and they scribe prosecutors as saying that right that's That's not what prosecutors said. Included in the interviews was the interview of the assailant's wife, the man who allegedly murdered this six-year-old boy in gruesome fashion, stabbing him to death and almost killed his mother as well after getting into a disagreement about uh, the Hamas attack in Gaza.
2: Yeah, the wife told detectives, quote, that he regularly listens to conservative talk radio and he was very interested in current events.
0: So the first instinct of Caesars J school graduates at Caesars press outlets, how do we use the gruesome murder of a six year old boy to smear our political opponents? It's the old wrap up smear. You remember, Nancy Pelosi detailed it for you. Here's how it works in the former speaker's own words.
10: We call it the wrap up smear smear you smear somebody with falsehoods and all the rest and then you merchandise it and then you write it and they'll say see it's reported in the press that this 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 and this so they have that validation that the press reported the smear and then it's called the wrap-up smear now i'm going to merchandise the press's report on the smear that we made and it's it's a tactic
2: it is a tactic. Yeah. And, and then uh, they'll find out if he's registered as a Democrat or Republican and do whatever they want to do.
0: It is a tactic, and the NPR Times just used it. So you have a concrete example. It's not an abstraction. It's not theoretical. 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanswerline. 64636DA, Line. Conservatives are racist. Conservatives are uh, Islamophobes. So... That's, that's the falsehood that you spread. Oh. <laughs> and then there's an opportunity to merchandise it when a old white dude murders a six-year-old boy and, and attempts to murder his mother.
2: And his wife also told investigators that he recently had withdrawn $1,000 from his bank because he believed the grid would go down.
0: Okay. And?
2: Well, I think there's some mental health issues there, but I'm not a doctor. We already went over that, but I just... They always want to blame for everything, like Jared Lofner in Tucson. Oh No, he wasn't a Republican or a Democrat. He was never voted in his life. He was crazy. He suffered mental illness, and people knew it, but they never said anything.
0: The... Um Ideology you're dealing with here. And why you can't get the left to condemn the hate-based invective of their fellow travelers. For example, Michael Schill, the president of Northwestern University. I mentioned this the other day, but now we've got the uh, actual language. Um, He cannot bring himself to comment on Hamas's terrorist attack in Gaza because uh, he's not here to speak for the entire professorate and so forth. The decision to exercise speech is um, something that needs to be carefully considered because there's a diversity of people and a diversity of viewpoints at Northwestern. Hmm. When he was at Oregon, when he was president of the University of Oregon, in June of 2020, he said this. There's no question we're living in a moment where our nation is painfully coming to grips with the reality of systemic racism that has been woven into the fabric of our society for generations. Events of the last few weeks have sadly demonstrated that racism in our country still kill black people and other people of color. Racism still endures within our nation's power structure and racism still keeps black, indigenous, Latinx and Asian people from equal access to health care, education, justice, economic prosperity, and so much more. People are angry, people are hurt, people are enraged. Describing, of course, the siege that was initiated by Black Lives Matter and uh, those who used the opportunity of some moral justification for violence to jump in. And then, three years later, three and a half years later, Michael Schill... You know, he's personally repulsed and sickened by what Hamas has done. That's the view of Mike Schill, citizen, Jew, and human being. However, I understand that when I put out an official statement on a political matter, an atrocity, a, a, a catastrophe, people read it not as the views of Mike Schill, but as President Mike Schill speaking for the university. As such, the decision to exercise speech takes on different meaning. We are a university which celebrates free expression, diversity of people, and diversity of viewpoints. Uh, no, you're not, but okay. This is essential to our role in society. The university does not speak for our faculty, students, and staff on these matters. They have their own voices, and I would venture to say there are no doubt differences among our students and faculty on what Hamas did and how Israel is responding. For me to speak for them displaces their own freedom to speak. Um, how so? You can't? make a statement without somebody else also making a statement and perhaps a statement uh, that uh, opposes the statement you made. That, that's the funny thing about um, the rights enshrined in, in the first 10 amendments. There are restraints on government so that we all enjoy those rights equally simultaneously. Michael Schill's right to free speech doesn't prevent me from speaking. And Michael Schill's uh, any statement Michael Schill might make as Northwestern University president Doesn't prevent any student or faculty member from speaking as well. As we saw during the um, more pedestrian matters like the Pat Fitzgerald firing. But this is so uh, telling about what grips these institutions. And it's Northwestern, and it's Stanford, and it's Harvard. The best schools in the country, we're told. So not one-off universities. The best schools in the country are beholden to some of the worst elements, the most anti-small-D democratic elements in the country. And you wonder why we're on the road to serfdom that Frank from Arlington Heights referenced in his uh, in-depth history minute last hour. That press corps beholden the chicago press corps the dc press corps all of the urban outposts of the dc press corps it's the same thing all of these institutions and now we're seeing it in full blossom in a way that a lot on the left can't ignore because they may be uh you know as michael schill described himself citizen jew and human being but they they've also been beholden to the left and it's helpful for them, the Larry Summerses of the world, former president of Harvard, Michael Schills of the world, a Jew citizen and human being, president of Northwestern. It's helpful when it's just intemperate rhetoric. It's just anti-Semitism on campus. It's noxious statements they can ignore because there's sort of no public implication. Uh, But when you have a massacre like occurred in Gaza, it makes it a lot more difficult and some people have to break ranks. And it's still mealy mouthed. They still can't completely break away from the left because even though they're not viewed as part of the solidarity and marginality crowd by the new Marxists, the BIPOCs and the LGBTQIA plus Jews, you're not welcome. You're not really part of us. But we'll take your votes and we'll take your money, but you're not really part of us when it comes to, for example, a choice between a Islamo-fascist terrorist group and innocent civilians. Sorry, we're with the Islamo-fascist terrorist group. As the Democrat Socialist Party, the new Marxist is. They are.
2: 312 6425 our is our turnkey.pro answer line. Text line Dan and Amy, I want to hear testimony from the actually accused about what he did and why he did it. I prefer facts.
0: Well, I mean, this is I mean, again, we're going based on what uh, Will County prosecutors and Will County sheriffs have disclosed publicly. So uh, because okay. they received
2: text messages from the boy's mother who was in the hospital and she stated to them what happened via text. And then they interviewed his wife.
0: Too. Well, okay, so we'll see as information becomes available. Um, I, You know, I'm I'm hard pressed to. Uh, uh, to To conceive of a justification for stabbing a six year old boy twenty six times okay so that 's where we 're starting
2: that was barbaric he 's a monster
0: so uh, anyway the question becomes um, those uh, individuals who affiliate with people who hate them and whether or not some More scales fall from some more eyes such that they choose to no longer affiliate because the I mean, the real problem is that the Jewish left is no different than the honky left in places like Naperville or Hinsdale. They have this sort of misplaced white man's burden that they uh, couch in religion And they've bought the wraparound smears perpetrated by the left. That's the important cultural dynamic. And if you miss that, you're missing everything. Because the cultural dynamic is what informs all of the institutions that are supposed to be the foundations of a civil free society. I mean, it took a, a, a Jewish billionaire Sitting on the board of Harvard. It took this for him to step off the board of Harvard. You didn't know what was going on at Harvard? It's just the prestige and the affiliation and the, uh, again, the, the, the white man's burden, for lack of a better, more accurate descriptor, because that's what it is. It's the white guilt that Shelby Steele wrote about. And so people better get over it. Greg in Jefferson Park. Jefferson Park.
7: Hey, good morning, guys. You know, one of the other things that really frusts me is uh, the guys who start a lot of these companies that are trying to take our rights away. First Amendment rights, Zuckerberg, Facebook, uh, Page and Brin of Google. You know, you've got Bloomberg uh, over there in New York trying to take our guns away. I mean, you know, Jeff Bezos, who, even though he doesn't really practice, he's a Jew by birth. And uh, you know what? These folks are doing everything in their power to take our rights away. And get rid of the middle class and make it the mind numbingly rich versus the serfs doing all the work for everybody else. And I'm sick and tired of it. You know, it's got to end. It's just people need to get with the program and get on board and stop this crap. You guys have.
0: Thanks for the call, Greg. Well, it would be nice if there'd be a little bit of uh, solidarity and people that are actually standing up for uh, the aggrieved in the moment. I mean, it's conservative talk radio that's being blamed by the NPR Times for the murder of that six-year-old boy um, that is standing with the victims in Gaza. And also, at the same time, to be clear, uh, recognizing explicitly that uh, most Muslims are peaceful pluralists. Most Palestinians are. No issues with Palestinian-Americans. Uh, Palestinian, uh, Americans, uh We don't look at groups. We look at an individual basis. We judge on behavior, not religious affiliation or uh, any other non-behavioral characteristic behavior. Stated beliefs. Which is a precursor to behavior. So um, it'd be nice if it wasn't just uh, denouncing the vitriol directed at the Jewish people coming from the professorate and so many of the students on college campuses, for example. It'd be nice to hear some people do the full walk back from the left and their wraparound smears. Uh, Jordan Antioch.
4: Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Um, you know, the reason that these people don't want to uh, condemn what happened over there is because they don't want to. And the ones that do, they never actually really condemn it. I should say the ones that do, but a lot of them, even when they do, they don't condemn the actual act. They don't condemn the actual mentality behind it. They change their language on it. Like when you have that fellow on the board. They
0: contextualize it. They contextualize Let me give you an example of what you're talking about. We were just talking about with Konorovich, professor of George Mason, law professor. Nick Kristof describes Hamas's leadership in Gaza since they uh, uh, took over governance there, as myopic and weak. They're a terrorist organization. And, and that's not me saying it. By the way, that's our State Department, including under this regime, who's designated Hamas as a terrorist organization. That's not weak and myopic. It's murderous, and it has right. been. And,
4: and, and they continue to support it and just change the context about it. And the thing that's really scary, and then I'll get off all of these young people, all of these, all these millennials, all these college students are in support. And I, I, if you want to support the Palestinians, the true Palestinians that are against this and have come out against this, great, because they need your help, right? Because they're under the burden and under the thumb of Hamas. Uh, but if you want to co- claim these people as martyrs and then turn around and say you need to gas the Jews, these are the people that you really need to be concerned about. Because these people, if you were to get on a plane right now and go, hey, man, I'm with you, brother, they would throw you off a building. And they will continue to support these people. That's the scary part. They've won the support of people that they will kill.
0: Thanks for the call, Jordan. Uh, Mike, Southside. Okay, Mike from Southside, gone. Uh, David Winneka.
9: Yeah, I'm sorry. So much to say here. Uh, Well, First of all, good morning, guys. Thank you so very much for what you do. I love you both. Um, So where do I start? It's... I'll tell you what, I've been called a racist the last couple of years so many times, and so I, I've just become, you know, numb to it. And then I just realized, you know, while listening to you guys just now, you know, it, it, being a, a racist, my, what a horrible, disgusting, you know, just absurd, uh, you know, it, it, it way to be. But I'll tell you what, if that means that me being a racist, so-called racist is uh, is my title, well, I'll be happy to accept that because it's, it's far more... uh Less of an accusation than being on the side that, that supports terror and killing of, of innocents and, and 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 not even letting their people leave. You know, it's, I don't know. Anyways, thank you. I'm sorry. I was kind of eluded. That's
0: sorry right. Thanks, no David. Uh, Lee Hammond.
9: Hey yeah, guys. Yeah,
6: you know the idea that the the more that these educated idiots can give a moral equivalency to uh, the plight of the Palestinian people, but and equate that with the slaughter of innocent people at a rock concert. You know, it's not new. This, this is the, these are the same idiots that get their shot, shorts in a knot over January 6th, but at the same time when some Democrat whack job shoots up a congressional baseball game, it's crickets. they got nothing to say about it. So this isn't new. This is the way these people are. And, and until they're confronted with the... With it, being the idiots they are, and, and st- stop letting them hide behind their ivory towers, it's going to go on and on. If somebody needs to confront this whole uh, class of people and put them in their place where they need to be put.
0: Thanks for the call, Lee. I mean, it's just it's been going on here, you know, in, in the most pronounced fashion since 9-11, where it's a, Islamophobia is the real threat. No, Islamofascism is the real threat, and we're adults who are able to make distinctions between a small group of people— that are uh, political extremists hiding behind a religion and committing acts of violence from people who are peaceful pluralists and who are not doing that. That's not that complicated. That's not that complicated to draw that line. And so you can report on uh, the horrors that happen in uh, Plainfield. You can report on the horror that happened in Brussels. Is anybody reporting on that? The um, uh, Muslim who apparently... He's an alleged
2: ISIS member
0: yeah who who uh, murdered two people yeah uh, two shot, Swedes right two swedish Bef- nationalists before shot the them for the
2: brussels swedish uh, soccer game and they canceled it at halftime because he was still on the loose but he yelled allah akbar before he pulled out his rifle and gunned them down
0: and so and that's we've i mean you know we could go through and document all of the islamo fascist inspired terrorist attacks on american soil in the last 20 years but we don't need to do that because we recognize the distinction They're easy distinctions to make. And for people who won't make them, that tells you everything you need to know about them and their agendas.
1: Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson.
0: I guess we're not doing Ted Dabrowski's theme music today. Ted Dabrowski is president of Wirepoints, wirepoints wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Uh, It turns out that uh, BLM Brandon can't make time in his schedule to go with the alder humans to visit the border and, uh, what, implore Texans to give them the heads up when the next buses will arrive?
2: Listen, it's a big burden, being the mayor of Chicago and also being a husband and a father.
6: Just to clarify, when when is
2: it soon
4: as out? possible? Look, I'm still running a major city. Whining. I have children who attend schools who have soccer games, y'all. You know, you all are asking me as if I'm not a parent in this city. I get it. I'm mayor. I get it. But you're asking me to give you a date. And I have to court. Do you understand that you have not had a mayor like me? I get that. Yeah. I have a wife. I have children. They have schedules. And plus, we still have public safety that we have to address. We still have the unhoused that we have to address. I still have a budget that I have to address. And I'm doing all of that with a black wife raising three black children on the west side of the city of Chicago. I am going to the border as soon as possible. But I got to coordinate that with one of the government and making sure that my wife and children are secure as well. Thank you, Lawrence.
2: I mean, it still makes me gasp every time I hear that if a woman acted like that, you know, we have burdens so with these things called children and schedules. He's a joke. So uh, he didn't speak to the media yesterday. He had his uh, senior advisor, Jason Lee. What's wrong, Dan? He had his senior advisor, Jason Lee, describe and tell us why he's not going.
8: But things are moving and shifting so quickly that that information changes uh, and, and even personnel changes. There's been elections on the border, different administrations in place. We need to build relationships with folks on the ground now. We're going to be sharing accurate information. I mean, there's no question uh, what the weather uh, condition, the challenge the weather conditions present in this city. Uh, housing is, continues to be a challenge. as We try to find more and more shelter beds.
2: Did you find an answer in that as to why he's not going?
0: First of all, I don't give a rat's ass if he goes or not. What point is there for him to go? The whole thing is the whole thing is a big PR stunt, anyway. Who? Can, what is he going to do at the border? Any different than he's doing in the mayor's office? But the, so that, that's the first point. Like Brandon Johnson going to the border is some kind of some, going to redound to some benefit for Chicagoans or change the policy in the city. Obviously, it's not. That's number one. Number two is oh, by the way, uh, I'm different than any other mayor we've had mayors with school age children yeah. before Tiny Dancer oh, Lloyd well, Lightfoot Richard uh, Jay Daly M. M. Daly yeah. we've Daly, never not so
2: had a mayor who hasn't had the burdens of you know being a parent and having this job. Well, we,
0: we have had mayors that have it. we have had mayors oh. that have not had that burden okay but anyway, regardless, it's just the whole thing is sophistry, and it is for, I don't know, I guess the the people that go to the Chicago Public Schools and their parents and grandparents who went to the Chicago Public Schools who can't read or, or do math, and I mean that literally. This is not some uh, generic smear. This is based on the scores emanating from those Black and brown neighborhoods because remember under the leadership of the this party for the last hundred years the uh, the new Marxists uh, and the machine politicians, same party uh, this is the most de facto segregated city in the country, big city in the country. And those neighborhoods, they profess so much concern and care about the older humans that represent them through the annals of Chicago history, the mayors, particularly the the last two. Frankly, go back to Harold Washington, go back to Tiny Dancer. He played racial politics, too. And here we have this report from Wirepoints, wirepoints wirepoints.org, of course, that uh, details the homicides and the test scores the proficiency in reading and math in uh, the, 20th, the 20 um, most violent and poorly educated, and of course there's correlation there, neighborhoods in the city. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Ted Dabrowski, president of Wirepoints.org. Thanks, Ted. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. So I'm looking at this report, and I see Chatham, where Stacy Davis Gates lives, the head of CTU, uh, 26 homicides this year, and the reading proficiency is 16%, and the math proficiency is 10%. I can see why she wanted to send her kid out of the neighborhood to a private school.
7: Well, exactly. And, and the school that uh, you know, NBC reported that the school that her son would have gone to, Harlan Academy, it was just uh, 5 out of 100 kids who could read, and, and in math, 3 out of 100. So you know, you've got the violence. You don't, you, know, you don't want to send your kid to a high school. Uh, you know, once these kids get older, there's more of them involved in crime, as we know. And so you you put that lethal combination of of uh, you know violence and, and criminals, even even young ones. And then you, you know, none of them can read at grade level, and, and many of them aren't even close to reading at grade level. It's not that they can't read at grade level; they may be three and four years behind. So uh, it's toxic. And what do you want parents to do? And you know, this this always comes back to the same discussion we keep having, right? There's no plan. There's no plan. Absolutely no plan. They don't even I'm not even sure that they know these numbers in government, Um, but um, they don't want to. They don't want to. So so it's no wonder that Stacey Davis Gates, in all her hypocrisy, uh, took her kid out of the school. And, you know, it's what every every parent should do who's down there trapped in this kind of environment.
0: And to put this in context, the violence, too. I mean, uh, you did a nice job in this report. So the city with the highest murder, big city with the highest murder per capita rate in the country is New Orleans at 74 people per 100,000, these neighborhoods that we're talking about on the city south and west sides, they're at double that or more in terms of homicide rate per resident.
7: Yeah, and of course we're comparing a small community to a, to a bigger city, New Orleans, right? But but nevertheless, what it tells you is, right, that the worst city in the country, when you look at the whole city, New Orleans, right, it's 70-something per, per every 100,000 uh, in, in population. Well you've got places like and these are rates right so they they're they're used for apples to apples comparison but West Garfield Park is 160 for 100k uh, yeah so so double double that of uh, of New Orleans you've got others that um, you know West Anglewood a 100 these are very very scary places to live and you can understand why they don't want their kids outside or, or you also understand why kids would playing in their front you know but uh, porch get shot um I can't, I can't tell you how bad it is. And, and you know, it, it brings us around to what do you want these families to do? And it, it's why so many black families leave Chicago and, and they're right to. You know, we've talked about them moving to Houston, to Dallas, to Atlanta, because there is no opportunity here. There is no entrepreneurship here. Um, there's just just a toxic environment that, you know, you, you want to flee it. And uh, until something changes, we get back to school choice. Until they have something else to choose from, they're either trapped they're, they're, they 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 they'll flee or, you know, they hope for something better. They just keep hoping, and you know, the hope doesn't seem to arrive.
0: Uh, although um, you know they're not doing nothing. Let's be fair, they are spending money to renovate schools.
2: Yeah,
7: fourteen yeah, that's,
2: that's, billion
7: that's, uh, dollars. Yeah, we uh, you know we we reported on that fourteen billion dollars. That's you know fifty percent more than what the whole school district spends on a yearly basis, and they want to. They want to put money into, into empty schools. I and mean, we're talking about schools that have just you know, 30 or 40 students you know, in the school when they should be housing you know, 1,000 students, and they want to spend billions on those. Um, the numbers are phenomenal. It's, it's a pure waste of money. Well, it's not a waste of money. It's a way for them to, to reward the administrators and the teachers. And the, and the, and the
0: contractors.
7: The contractors, exactly. You keep these schools open. People, people are making lots of money from empty, failing schools.
0: It's staggering. The uh, uh, topic that we opened the segment with talking about uh, the situation with uh, 11,000 migrants spread across the city right now with more coming and older humans going down to the border. Um, We we talked about this a bit yesterday. It's uh, something I think that resonates with people because it's um, so easy to understand and so in your face. $400 million uh, budgeted by Jelly Belly and... The uh, luminaries in Springfield for rental assistance that looks like it's going to be mainly used to entice communities not named Chicago, along with the other grant funding, to bring migrants into their communities and provide all of the benefits that Chicago is providing. $9,000 over six months, so $1,500 a month, plus moving assistance. I don't know how much they have to move. Uh, they're whether they're shipping their furniture from Caracas, probably not. Uh, but also um, uh, uh, a furniture starter kit. That's um, nice little benefit package for people in this lot people who are largely in this country illegally.
7: Yeah, you know, um, I, I actually this past Saturday, I got tired of reading the reports by you know guys like Rick Pearson at Chicago Tribune. Uh, who, who I think do a very faulty job of, of reporting what's happening. So I, I went down to um, Larrabee and division, the 18th district police station, and, and just got into the middle of the mix with, with a lot of Venezuelans there. I wanted to hear it for myself and, and talk to them myself. So, you know, it is a, it is a disaster what they've done, what, what what we've done here. You know, this whole open border sanctuary status for the city, sanctuary status for the, for the state. It's attracting all these people, you know, and, and giving them false hope. And then they come here. And I you know, I saw families, like two two families with little kids, you're talking about three year olds, and they were just on the sidewalk all day, they had no tents, no anything. And so, you know, it it really is it's a crushing humanitarian issue. But at the same time, it 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 makes no sense to, to, to provide to well to open up the borders like this when we can't even take care of our own. And you can understand why the blacks are so upset. Um, you know, it's it's you know, they're they're taking money now from things that should be working to what we just talked about, improved schools or or reduce crime, and they're, they're taking that money and, and giving it to a bunch of people who are here illegally and and either tricked or hoodwinked or or given incentive to come here. And, uh, you know, there's no plan, Dan. I, I, I was down there, and it, it's a pathetic experience for all these tents on the sidewalk. They've taken over the police station, and uh, zero plan, and people just sitting around saying, we don't know what we're doing. We want to work, but there's no plan. We don't know how to get work papers. They don't tell us anything. They just wait around for people to bring hot dogs and things like that who, uh, you, know, you, know, who are you know, volunteers who are helping out.
2: Well, and also uh, Brandon Johnson's make-believe budget that he passed or is trying to pass, $150 million is going to immigration. That's, it's going to be 30 or $300 million easily, and that's going to only last a few weeks or a few months, I should well, yeah. say. Because well, yeah, they're, they're, plan- yeah, they're banking on state and federal aid, but that might not come.
7: Well, exactly. And I think, you know, the whole the whole lie of this budget is that, you know, we're talking about the, the migrants who have made it here under this you know, asylum, et cetera. Well, there's been over eight million people total across the border in the last, you know, in the, in the last whatever it is, three years. You know, when you count everybody and you know, we're going to have many, many more people than these 18,000, we're going to have hundreds of thousands come over the border into Illinois. And so when you start racking up the Medicaid costs that nobody seems to know what they are, You start racking up the school costs, right? Because there's going to be a lot of school children. Uh, There's going to be all kinds of transfer payment costs. We're talking billions. And I think New York York State, New York City has been much more honest about what it's going to cost them. We're talking about still here, you know, hundreds of millions. No, it's going to be billions. And it's going to come out of the hides of other people who who deserve public safety, who deserve a better education and better health care. It's going to come out of their hides. And you can see why those black communities and Latino communities are so
0: upset. Ted Dabrowski, President, of WirePoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Ted, thank you as always.
7: Thank you, guys.
2: Thank you. And he joined us on our answer line.
1: The more, you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. At AM 560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I saw a recent Emerson poll that had uh, Governor Jelly Belly's approval rating down barely over 40 percent.
2: Oh, no. What's he going to do?
0: So, boy, an an enterprising uh, opposition party might try to take advantage of that. Unfortunately, we don't have one in Illinois.
2: No, we
0: don't. Uh, Interestingly, too, Biden up nine against Trump in that same poll, which, of course, is, uh, you know, a much smaller margin than his margin of victory in Illinois in 2020 or uh, Clinton's margin of victory in 2016. So there has been a few people who have decided to give common sense a whirl. Um, By contrast, in Pennsylvania, that same Emerson group found Trump up nine on Biden. Pennsylvania, which is sort of, increasingly believed to not be a swing state anymore maybe if things keep going the way they're going under uh, this president maybe it will be in 2024 we'll see not illinois i know but uh, pennsylvania that would be a game changer that certainly would uh, change the electoral calculus wouldn't it so um in the absence of a republican party what's there to do locally to engage to try to claw back towards sanity. Well, uh, one opportunity may be this right-to-parent referendum question. If you don't have Republican candidates worth a lick doing anything particularly relevant, you do have some conservative grassroots activists filling the void or attempting to. Uh, Jeannie Ives, of course, is one of them, former state representative. She's the co-founder of Breakthrough Ideas. And she's the host on our airwaves of The Real Story, Sunday evenings, 7 to 9 p.m. The Right to Parent petition, you heard her commentary at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour on it. What is it? How to get involved? How important? What kind of impact? Let's ask her. Jeannie, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
12: Uh, Good to be with you, Dan and Amy. Thanks for having me on.
0: So, explain uh, what the petition is and what it takes to get the question you're putting, you want to put to the residents of Illinois on the ballot. Uh,
12: So, very simply, the advisory question asks whether or not you should have the written consent of a minor's parent or guardian before anybody, entity, person, clinic, school, uh, can perform any non-emergency medical procedure, give uh, a child medication, a pharmaceutical, or any gender modification procedures, uh, counseling on gender identification or gender therapy. It's it's very straightforward. And uh, we, we're asking the question. So it's not an easy lift. We understand that. But it's simply an advisory referendum question because we can't actually do something on a constitutional amendment because, of course, our laws prevent citizens from actually changing our constitution in meaningful ways, like saying that you have a right to parent, but we are going to ask the polling question. And so it takes, you know, it's going to be 328,000 signatures minimum uh, petition signatures to get on the ballot. We're shooting for 500,000. We'd like those in by April 1st and people can go to parentsmattercoalition.org. Parentsmattercoalition.org. They can download the petition right there the instructions and getting more information and they can start to circulate it and send it back in. This is a very much a grassroots effort. We think it's worth doing. And I personally think it'll be very telling about who you're surrounded by in Illinois. So I'm encouraging people, take it to your school board members. I mean, we are definitely targeting schools about what they've been doing to transition students behind parents' backs. Take it to your school board members. If they refuse to sign this petition, publicize their
2: name. Well, tell us some stories about people trying to, you know, get their kids' transitioned behind the parents' back.
12: Well, I think the most alarming one comes uh, actually from a 2019 USA Today article that Jay Keck wrote. He was an opinion contributor at that time, and he writes that his 14-year-old daughter became convinced she was a son and his attempt to help her at her public school, which, by the way, was Hinsdale Central, uh, undermined him in every step of the way. So he said this started in 2016. He wrote this editorial in 2019, and they thwarted his and his wife's um, ability to help their child through this gender dysphoria, and she was on the autism spectrum. He fully admits that in this article, and they just hid it behind her. He even went into them and said, "We don't want her to transition. You use her proper name. You use the right pronouns." And they did not do that. The schools worked against the parents. Uh, To me, that's like the most alarming one, and that goes years back. And um, this is happening everywhere.
0: And and so, um, just to make sure I understand the uh, scope of the uh, advisory question, that would then also include uh, notification of parents. Uh, with respect to a minor who sought an abortion right
12: Uh, that's correct but we're going past notification to ring consent we don't think it's not
0: yes exactly and you're right so you would have to right notify the parent that this is happening make sure they know and then consent you couldn't uh, have some counselor uh uh uh, ferry some uh uh, teenage girl to uh planned parenthood or preteen for that matter
12: Well, that's right. But I mean, again, it's not even the the lobby. And actually, um, this idea of an advisory question, let's ask the poll. Let's take the poll question of the the real citizens in the state of Illinois, because you've got just um, you've got gerrymandered districts in every single situation where the Democrats have picked. Uh, they're voters, and these these guys are j- just completely full of themselves. They're um, they're ideologues, and they're not really listening to the citizens. We believe we believe this is easily a 72% question because if you look at polling, 72% of people e- believe that parents have a right to know about their minor daughter getting an abortion. But so it's time to ask the question, but we go to actual written consent. We don't think right. it's enough just to notify.
0: Yeah, consent, exactly. And 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 this is also, too, this is important because this is the age of the abortion pill as well. So you wouldn't even well, need to necessarily true. go anywhere.
12: Yes, but there's a whole host of other reasons to do this. Um, so let's say that you've got a woke 20-year-old camp counselor who wants to talk to your 14-year-old daughter about the fact that maybe she's just really a boy. Well, that's that's another thing that would that kind of covers this. That's why we say any entity, person. Mm. Um, and but we do specifically talk about schools because, uh, at the Parents Defending Education website, which you can look at, they have a list of school districts where um, they they actually say that you can hide the status from parents of a a, ch- a, a kid's transgendering. And, of course, on that, that list are a number of Illinois schools, including my own school district. My own school district's on that list, District 200.
0: Uh, wheaton Warrenville? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
12: yeah they're, on, they're on that list to hide a, a student's transgender status from their parents. And this is official, is the guidance. This is Pritzker's official guidance.
2: Well, did you hear what the IHSA is doing? So if there is a transgender or somebody who claims they are, you, you can't just say you're transgender. You have to get a note from your mom and dad not from the school, but from your mom and dad saying that you're going through transitioning in order to play on that said sport. So do you consider that a little bit of a victory? Well, oh, that's Yeah, I mean, that's a step in the right direction. Great.
12: You know, I look forward to a lot of people signing on to this. Uh, and, and, and of all sort of political persuasions, it's just common sense. It's an inherent right of parents to know what's going on with their child.
0: What does what the coalition look like at present? Does it include any... Elected officials, or is this uh, strictly uh, an initiative of sort of the pro-family uh, grassroots?
12: Well, it started out with a, a, a parishioner at St. Michael's, basically wanting to try to reverse the repeal of the parental notification of abortion. And uh, I, ta- I talked with him because uh, I know him personally, and and then Mary Kate Nor of Illinois Right to Life, and. We kind of, us three came together and said, hey, we think we should broaden this to include some additional items like schools, transitioning kids behind parents' back. And, and so we put this together. It took a few months to do. But, uh, you know, I, I think um, Catholic Votes with us. Um, I'm sure the pro-family groups will be with us. We're sure that a lot of other legislators will be with us. But we just want, we want parents to weigh in. We want citizens to weigh in on this more than anything.
0: Well, and of course. And uh, and then, you know, the for those who would oppose an advisory question that has no uh, legal, that's, that's not legally binding in any way, well, the, the response would be, what, what are you afraid of, people to express their opinion? I mean, you this is a, a blue state. All the politicians run around saying Illinois is this blue state. It's this progressive haven. So if it's the, all those things and the electorate is sympathetic to the positions that the political ruling class has taken, then that should be reflected in a popular response to this advisory question, right?
12: Uh, absolutely. So, not don't just take it to your school board members. Take it to your your elected officials at every level, but really your state reps, because if this advisory question receives, you know, a good majority, a majority, period. Actually, we shouldn't even have to ask this question. It's insane that we have to ask it. But if it receives a majority opinion, then we should expect our legislature legislators to then forward legislation that protects parents' rights in this way. And if they don't, that tells you a lot. But if they refuse to sign, that tells you everything you need to know about them. And right, that this... should be publicized. So you take it to your state rep. If they won't sign this petition, put it out publicly. And that's something that you can send back to um to our website, Parents org. You can email us that response um and we'll publicize it
10: for you.
0: Well, and the the other thing this does too is it, it gives people a reason to perhaps engage and and at least participate like in terms of voting, even if they're otherwise forlorn about their choices at the local level or don't see much hope of a Republican winning this state in the presidential race.
12: Yes. And I mean, if they also, if they also attempt to, uh, for example, throw this question out, if we, if we get the sufficient number of signatures to file and then they attempt to throw the question out for any reason, any legal challenge. I mean, that's just another reason to say Illinois is lost. It's, completely lost or if the question makes it to the ballot you can't even get 50% of the people that live around you and are actual active voters to, to vote for parental rights uh, that i mean then what the hell why are you why why do you want to live with people that feel this way
0: it's like uh, it's like the country song uh, one more last chance for illinois uh, we maybe Vince Gill will record Ugh. some music to the one more last chance for illinois to sig- signal some sign of uh, uh, intelligent life the right to parent well, petition
12: you know a lot of us expect that the democrats will attempt to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot that enshrines a right to an abortion in the state of illinois and so this uh, you know if that question uh, comes up and then this question is below it well we'll see how people choose
0: she is Jeannie Ives. She's the co-founder of Breakthrough Ideas, a former member of the Illinois House, host of the Real Story on our airwaves Sunday from seven to nine p.m. And again, the petition she was talking about can be found at ParentsMatterCoalition.org. ParentsMatterCoalition.org. Get involved. Get some petitions. Go to your school board. Go to your elected officials. Go to your neighbors. Uh, you, you, at least you're, you're getting out early, so there's plenty of time to gather the requisite number of signatures if people are so motivated. Jeannie, thanks as always. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you. And she joined us on our Pro answer line.
1: It's like a hot steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Dan and Amy, uh, some uh, goings on uh, in flight. Uh, did you catch the story? Maybe you caught the top line of it, the report that a... what. A Panama City uh, flight that was bound for Tampa, Florida, had to turn around because of a suspected bomb.
2: Really? I did not hear about that.
0: Yeah. You know what it turned out to be?
2: A Delta passenger?
0: (laughs) No. Uh, An adult diaper. What? An adult diaper apparently was called in as a potential bomb, and uh, the flight had to... The flight bound for Tampa had to return wait, wait. to Panama City, Panama.
2: How big was this adult diaper?
0: Well, here's what here is my theory on it. Yes. My theory is that someone uh, knew the story about the diarrhea plane and was like, somebody is about to go off. And <laughs> let's get back to Panama wait. before so somebody runs down the aisle spraying the... Uh,
2: was it... Adult diaper left in the overhead bin or on a no, chair? No, no. Or it was going through I, a checkpoint? And- I don't
0: know where it was left. I don't know if it was retrieved from somewhere, oh, but there is a the picture of the adult diaper.
2: Oh, did you tweet it out or where can I see it?
0: No, I, I didn't tweet it out. Because I try to reserve to. my tweeting to, for things that are more substantive, but uh, yeah, but anyway. Yeah, so that was one. I got another one, uh, adult, adult diaper related. This could actually be something that we start doing here in America. This comes to us from Japan. A uh, group of uh, sumo wrestlers, so adult diapers, sort of. Oh,
2: fashionable uh, adult diapers. Oh, I um, see the adult diaper now. Mm, okay, go on. Yeah,
0: doesn't really scream bomb, but like I said, if you're thinking about the diary, you know, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Japan Airlines had to schedule an extra flight that because they were concerned that a group of sumo wrestlers exceeded the yes. weight limit for two planes.
2: Thank you. I've been complaining about that for years.
0: Well, the difference, of course, is the typical passenger uh, for Japan Airlines is about 100 pounds less than the average weight of the sumo wrestlers in question. They were going to some sporting event. Um, the av- but here, here, what do you think the average weight of a sumo wrestler is?
2: I'd say uh, 300.
0: Yeah, you would think.
2: Am I right or what?
0: No, it's sort of like thinking about what the average weight of a defensive lineman is. Remember when William the Refrigerator Perry, first 300-pound lineman, 305 pounds. Now, you know, the average weight on these lines is like 330. Um, What is it? The average weight for the sumo wrestlers on this flight that had to be diverted so they could uh, arrive safely. Yeah. Uh, Or they had to charter another plane. 264 pounds only.
2: That's it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, huh. but that's a hundred pounds more than the av- the weight of the average uh, Japan Airlines passenger. Now, now put that in American context. Uh, my flight from Chicago to Fort Myers. Yes, I okay. would say the average weight of the passengers was probably pushing two sixty four, and there were no sumo wrestlers that I could. Uh, I identify. am
2: telling you. And then every time they get on the plane, then they ask for those extended seatbelts. Like, please, no, not. A-. And then when they run out of them, that's when we need to charter a second flight. Because we are going to go down because people will not control their appetites I mean it's God, a market opportunity I feel so bad now well a it's a person. it's
0: a market opportunity uh, for definitely for the Pritzker family I mean I can jelly belly airlines you know jelly yeah <laughs> okay. jelly belly airlines so something like that we' we'll, we'll workshop it.
2: Sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. intersection. Arrogance and ignorance, arrogance, ignorance, and arrogance, and ignorance, intersection.
0: Uh, yeah, in this installment, uh, what's going on in Wisconsin? Uh, they're following uh, almost uh, two dozen other states in uh, moving to rein in the uh, runaway uh, trans uh, deal with Sports, but also speaking of our conversation with Jeannie Ives at the top of the hour, the right to parent—they're also banning, would ban the legislation, uh, would ban gender reassignment surgeries on minors. Three bills passed the uh, Wisconsin House, go to the Senate. Now, of course, the dem socialist governor Tony Evers has vowed to veto these bills if they, if and when they get to his desk. But three bills. Limit high school athletes to playing on teams that match the gender they were assigned at birth. Uh, The same restriction would also apply to college athletes, so at state schools. And the third would bar doctors from performing gender-affirming surgery on minors. Uh, The Dems uh, in Madison opposed all of these measures.
2: Of course they did.
0: Of course they did. And uh, one state senator, excuse me, one state rep, uh, His name is Frank Considine. Uh, Here's the argument that he made. Excuse me, Dave Considine. Dave Considine from uh, Baraboo. State Representative Dave Considine made this argument uh, specifically with respect to boys participating in girls' sports. And the argument that you often make, Amy, that it's unfair that girls would lose scholarships to boys. Right. College scholarships. He has an answer for you.
8: Okay, good. I want to hear the it. best we got was well,
7: some parents are concerned that their daughter might miss out on a scholarship.
6: They been? might miss out on playing for this team or that team. Boy, that doesn't sound like community. That sounds like selfishness. I'm sorry to label it that way, but that sounds like <laughs> what it is to me. I'm only worried about myself, I'm not worried about building the team and having my school
4: have a powerful team.
2: Oh
0: boy! Selfishness of girls wanting uh, girls' sports scholarships at the next level, and upset when Leah Thomas would take them. Uh, Leah Thomas very,
2: took the spot from somebody else.
0: You're not being very team oriented. You're building the team. Yeah, and she uh, he did, and look how well he did, and the team did because he took that spot from a woman. That's what uh, Dave Considine, the state rep from. Baraboo, who represents the Dem Socialists in the Badger State, had to say, "What do you say?" Three one two six four two fifty six hundred. Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A. Turnkey Pro Text Line. Play harder, get better, and think about the team above yourself. There's no,
2: there's no girl. I in team, Dan. There's no,
0: there's no girl in team either.
2: But they, I mean, because some of these women, and, and and Mike knows because they're in swimming, they they spend. Hours, weeks, months, years of their lives preparing for this. And if they get in at a collegiate level and somebody takes their spot, that's devastating.
0: Well, here's the thing. The most important thing, uh, per Representative Considine, is putting together the best team. And so if that means men, then the way you uh, solve the problem of uh, women on the girls' sports teams at the collegiate level is just have more men. And if you started earlier with more men on the girls' teams, then you're you're going to need to add fewer men when it comes to the college sports teams. You see the logic?
2: Yeah, yeah. Do you see any women or trans women trying out for men's teams ever? This just seems to be a one-sided issue.
0: Well, again, it's the best, you know, a, a Representative Considine doesn't see uh, sex. Oh,
2: okay. Um, so it's yeah. a, just about, so it's about,
0: it's about the best team. Uh-huh.
2: Coming put together people, the best Baraboo, team. Baraboo, Wisconsin. Woo-hoo.
0: Right. Put mean together, Streets of Baraboo. Yes. Put together the best team. What's wrong with that? Jason in Northlake, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
8: I mean, talk about th- saying the quiet part aloud,
4: out loud. Out loud. <laughs> um, yeah, let's just get a bunch of dudes, put them in, uh, say their girls and stuff like that, so that way we can just utterly dominate.
0: Well, ex- well, exactly. Thanks for the call. I mean, if you can get enough dudes um, and, you know, and it's a bit of an arms race, it's sort of like uh, NIL money right at the collegiate level. Um, you've got to get um, the right backers to provide the right financing to put together the best team that you pay for sort of the same thing here. All that matters is the best team and uh, winning. And if that means dudes replace uh, girls, then dudes replace girls. What's the big deal? You know, I mean, the dudes who want to replace girls. Rick if you're gonna, her, Okay, real quick. Ahead. So if
2: you're going to go all in, get the operation done. Because uh, Leah Thomas has not had the operation done yet. So then she exposed him or he exposed himself to other swimmers that didn't even like that either.
0: Well, the NCAA uh, guideline on this, is which it? is what uh, the current guideline is in Wisconsin, is you have to have started hormone therapy in order to, if you're a dude, in order to play on the girls' team. But, of course, we know from the science – I know the science is irrelevant here from with respect to all these men and women of data and science. Otherwise, science is irrelevant here. But we know from the science that uh, starting hormone therapy after you've entered puberty doesn't uh, diminish the entire structural advantage in strength and bone, den- you know, bone density, all, all the mm-hmm. things that uh, men have over women, including young men over young women. But, again – the important thing is team, and everybody should be a team player. Rick Downers Grove.
4: Hey, good morning. It's like this, it's like the college students that are you know at, at, at um, whatever it was that uh, are pro-Palestinian, and the people that were are totally in on the COVID thing and are still wearing masks. Their brains have been damaged to a point; they're never coming back. They're never going to wake up. They're never going to become. Thinking adults, and it's like almost it's a losing battle to try to convince these people that they're insane. They're never gonna, they're never gonna acknowledge that.
2: Hard to well, convince people they've been for the fooled call. for years. Yeah. They're well,
0: um, well, what what you try to do at minimum is sort of stop the contagion by standing up and being sensible and communicating that this is wrong and shaming people who go down this rabbit hole and are. Interested in taking others with them, you know, so again, you're talking about a minority viewpoint that is growing incrementally, as we've seen on so many issues, only because of the failure to stand up to this motivated minority. So it's like then you're never going to get, well, how did they get these people in the first place? They didn't start here. Nobody was talking about this, you know, five, ten years ago. So how did, where did it come from? It came from somewhere. People are persuadable. That's a re- reminder. Um, and speaking of which, something the left understands that the right is still trying to grapple with, it would seem, staying in Wisconsin, people are persuadable. And the earlier you get to those people, the better. Like in fourth and fifth grade. Superior school district in Wisconsin. You think this is just a... Again, something that's occurring in these uh, cosmopolitan uh, Xanadus like Chicago, New York, L.A.? No. And the outlying suburbs? No. Superior School District in Wisconsin, which is like seven hours north of Chicago. I mean, it's all the way up by Duluth. Superior School District in Wisconsin, which counts about 5,000 students. Here's the um, gender agitprop. That has being inflicted upon kids while they're in the classroom. Speaking of uh, the right to parent advisory uh, question, again, that we were talking to Jeannie Ives about the importance of this and driving a conversation using something like an advisory ballot question, you know, calling the question, uh, crystallizing it in a single question, calling the question to drive all of these debates to a place and force people to think through and take positions on these matters. Superior School District, take a listen.
13: Aww. Hi, baby. Are you a boy or a girl? Funny you should ask, Sid. One of the first things they check when a new baby is born is what kind of body parts they have. They do that to determine a baby's sex. Most of the time, it's easy to determine, and sometimes it's more complicated. This one has a penis. It's a boy. This one has a vulva. It's a girl. Congratulations. Whoa. Let's hit the brakes, people. The way your body looks on the outside is only part of the story. Uh What? (sighs) Stay with me, gang. This is important. Hi, little one. Your sex refers to your physical body parts, remember? But there is also something called gender, which is how you feel inside your body and who you know yourself to be. And your gender, how you feel on the inside, doesn't always match the sex you were called when you were born. Okay. Let's say you were born with a penis and you feel like a boy inside. In that case, your sex and your gender match. Well, what if you were born with a penis and you know you're a girl inside? not a boy. Then your sex and your gender don't match. Wait, what does "know you're a girl inside mean anyway? Does that mean you have to love pink things and princesses? Nope. Sometimes people refer to things as girl things and boy things, but this is just how people sometimes classify things, usually to make it easier to sell stuff to kids and their parents. Clothes, toys, and games are for everyone. You don't have to be a boy or a girl to like a certain thing. Sid, has anyone ever told you that you shouldn't play with something or wear something because you're a boy? Well, yes. The body parts you were born with don't always dictate who you are, how you feel, or what you like to play with. Ah, that's such a relief. Gender, how you feel and who you know yourself to be, tells you who you are. And there are a whole bunch of possibilities. Figuring out what feels right for you is just part of growing up. Bye little cutie Um you might want to change that diaper sooner than later. (sighs) (laughs) Isn't
0: that fun? Fourth and fifth graders all right boys who wants to join the girls swim team? Raise your hand. I do, I do Fourth and Fifth graders in superior school district in Wisconsin. and again, if it's happening in Superior School District, then you can pretty much surmise that it's happening in thousands of school districts around the country. Same grade level, if not younger. People are persuadable. Get to the kids. Earlier, the better. Dennis Evergreen Park.
8: Hello. All right, so, First comment is that I think they elected one of the
6: clowns from the circus up there in Baraboo. um you know they closed down the circus so he needed a new job um but following his logic is like saying it's fine to use
8: steroids or it's fine to get ringers from other states on certain teams it's a form of cheating i mean putting men in women's sports simple as that it's cheating
0: well there you go thanks for the call dennis but of course then you just have people who deny reality and that's what you'll get in response, which is there's no real evidence that uh, men have an advantage over women in sports. I mean, that's literally said all the time. Yeah, well, pay no idiots. attention. Pay no attention to your lying eyes. Pay no attention to your lived experience. Coach, coach a boys I'm, team
2: and coach a girls team. And because I'm, I'm, team. Telling
0: you, mm-hmm. I'm telling you that there's no advantage. Mm-hmm. So given that there's no advantage, don't you want to be inclusive? Don't you want to put the best team out there? Don't you want to let everybody play? You don't want to be a meanie, do you? You know, South Park can't do all the heavy lifting here, folks. You know, South Park's got an episode coming up where they have recast all of the characters uh, across the gender racial spectrum, gender uh, sexual identification, racial spectrum to uh, parody all of this.
2: Oh, I can't wait to see that. But they
0: they can't do it all. Parker and Stone can't do it all. You're going to have to do some of the heavy lifting, too. Vince and St. Charles.
7: Good morning, guys. The problem with these uh, people is that they can't hack it as a man. So they put a wig on and they figure they could, you know, do it as a woman and w- win. And they can't win in sports as a man. So they put the wig on. And like Amy
8: said, if you want to go all the way, cut it off. Go all the way.
2: And if you're truly you committed. You
0: Thanks, Vince. If you're truly committed.
2: You you don't know, you know, you're gonna commit.
0: Well yeah, I'm not I'm not uh advocating. You and I see differently on that
2: though.
0: Well well why I mean why would you advocate somebody do that?
2: No, I'm just saying if you're all in, I mean go all in. None of this half half stuff. It's like you can't say you're preg- kinda of pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not.
0: Well that's that's one approach. The other approach is to say you're half in, let's pull you out.
2: That's another no, approach too, you're right.
0: N- no pun intended. Dan and Amy Chicago's morning answer.
1: Listen to the podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile.
0: Dan and Amy and Ron in Countryside, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
8: Yeah, I wanted
0: to congratulate you guys. You're uh, celebrating 10 years together. We are. We are. Where
2: okay, are we going to so go that for that means- 10 year anniversary? Well, first
0: of all, we're not celebrating it. But uh, no, um, are we, it's not 10 years right. yet. It's not 10 years. Yeah, That's cool. well, I just wanted to congratulate you over the fact you can't get fired now because you have 10-year.
2: Uh, I-O.
0: Very good, Ron. See Thanks what for the he did. call. When is Our 10 years is, I think, in February? Three years
2: from now? No. No,
0: no, 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 no. Is it, is, it fe- is it? Wait, are we in year?
2: I don't know what year this is. It's, is this well, is 2023,
0: yes. Yeah. Yeah, when did I? Well, you're you were here before me because I was at WLS, of course. But what what is that when is our ten? We'll
2: find out. You know who will know? Bob from Buffalo Grove would know. Yeah, good. Because he good. sends cards. This is the anniversary of your start date. I mean, he's so thoughtful and just he's our favorite engineer, right? He's
0: the uh, the uh, show's archivist. Yes. Um, before we go again, yes. uh, we mentioned this earlier on the show, but I just want to repeat. Please. Uh, Don't be a hero up there in Wilmette. You've got about a little under 96 hours to flee for safety. Let's get on the roads before, you know, the expressways to New Buffalo are jammed. Saturday, Mount Carmel versus Loyola in Wilmette. And you know what that means.
10: My address Debbie. That's that's, it. Thank you. I live right across the street from Loyola. Now... Last Two Thursday nights ago, August 24th, there was back-to-school night. You couldn't even walk down the street. They allowed you to park on the other side of our block. And there were people that were walking their dogs, their kids were out. They almost got killed. And second of all, when they had halftime on Friday nights, where do you think they're going? To the bars. And then they're going to be walking the neighborhood's Oh, my God. I mean, do you guys even care? And then crime's going to come in, because when they play St. Rita or Mount Carmel, everybody just comes from everywhere on the south side of Chicago. And there was four robberies in our neighborhood. I mean, like, seriously. It's going to make crime up, and it's going to make people not want to buy around here.
0: Exactly. Look, you can replace your home. You can't replace your lives. Uh, Mount Carmel, you know, you can rebuild Wilmette, Wilmishans, after Mount Carmel lays waste to Loyola on Saturday. You can rebuild.
2: Number one going against number two, right?
0: Get out of there. Get out of there.
2: (laughs) Thanks so much to George Hoffman, who's in for Justin Kosick this week, and to Quinn McCarthy. Thanks for listening to
0: Chicago's Morning Answer podcast, sponsored by Signature Bank.